to follow the reading for today. We're in John's Gospel. We've been making our way through John's Gospel in our morning services over the weeks. And uh, we're into the end of chapter 15 and chapter 16. So I'm going to be reading from chapter 15, verse 26. John has been telling the story of God's new creation in Jesus Christ. That the kingdom has come because the king has come in Jesus. John, who was one of the first disciples of Jesus, who had followed him, who had seen him, heard him, touched him, laughed with him, writes his gospel so that we might believe in Jesus. He writes his gospel that we might continue to believe in Jesus. And since chapter 13 of his gospel, over 40% of the gospel of John is concerned with the last week of Jesus' life. Where his public ministry has closed and he is dealing with his disciples and preparing them. He's preparing them for what is to come. He's preparing them for his departure because he is going to leave them. He is going to prepare them for his death and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he prepares them for the mission that he is going to send them out on. So we'll pick up from chapter 15, verse 26. Jesus says, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asked me, where are you going? And because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. 
in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone else ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's kind of a lot to take in, but isn't it wonderful that we have the words of Jesus to read for ourselves? So let's just pray as we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have for us recorded the words of your Son, our Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we pray that as we just spend time looking at this passage together today, that you will speak to us. That as a congregation, as your church in this place, you will speak to us. That you'll speak as, to us as individuals as well. Will you apply your word as you wish it to in our own lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus has been talking about the mission that he is going to be sending his disciples on as he leaves them. 
and the mission remains the same. We are on the same mission that those early disciples were on. It's why we exist as a church. The only reason we're here is to tell people about Jesus. I was so encouraged the other week, it's still living with me, from that word from the lady who rang me up from the south coast of England who had been praying for us as a church, praying through that Baptist Union directory. But only when she'd come to Chipping Camden Baptist Church, she felt filled with the Holy Spirit, and God said to her, I will do amazing things in that church. I'm claiming it with all my heart. And been thinking about it. It's not that this church will do amazing things. No. God will do amazing things in his church. That was the word. And sometimes, and I think it may be just me, that sometimes I think the mission is just too big. And I'm not being fruitful enough. And not being effective enough. And I've been reminded this week that, well, I knew it already, but it's not about me. Because I'm just part of the mission team. Yes, Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify about me and you will also testify we all have that responsibility to testify about Jesus, to give a witness wherever we are, because that's who we are. If anyone touches us, they need to touch Jesus, because that's who we are. It's the most important thing about us. If we love Jesus, that's what comes out of us. We will testify. But we are on our mission, which is a co-mission, with God, the mission of calling to the world, our loved ones, our families, our friends, our neighbors, the world to receive salvation, to receive forgiveness from God. But it is the Father's mission. He sent his one and only Son. It is the Father's mission. It is Jesus' mission. He came to seek and save the lost. It is the Holy Spirit's mission. Because he testifies about Jesus. And then it's our mission. We're never to forget that it's not about us. Never, it's not about us. We have to be willing to go for God. But it is God's mission. And we are partners with him. Now John, the writer of this gospel, knows what it is like to be in partnership with someone. He was in partnership with his brother, James. They were fishermen. They had a partnership. Not only that, they had a partnership with two other fishermen. Simon and Andrew. They were partners together. And John, over the years, learnt to trust Jesus. To let Jesus take care of the strategy. 
to do what he tells him to do, and to let Jesus take care of the outcome. One of their first encounters with Jesus, recorded in Luke 5, on the Lake of Galilee, they've been fishing all night, they haven't caught a thing, they come in, Jesus commandeers the boat of Simon and says, I want to use it to preach, and he does. And then after speaking to the crowds, Jesus says, I want you to put out into deep water. And Simon Peter's going, we fished all night, we caught nothing. Put out into deep water. And Simon says something interesting, because Jesus says so, he does it. No, because you say so, I will. And they put out into deep water. And Jesus says, let down your nets for a catch. Oh, we haven't caught any. There's nothing there. They let down their nets for a catch. They can't bring it all in. Simon and Andrew have to call who? They call John and James. Come over, we've got too many fish. And they partner together, hauling the fish in. John knows That when you do what Jesus tells you to do, amazing things happen. Cana in Galilee, they were with Jesus at a wedding. The most amazing thing happened. Jesus didn't want to be quite bothered at the time if you read the story. Mary, his mum, says, do whatever he tells you. You can hear, I don't know if Jesus said, oh, mum. No, he was a bit older than a teenager, but he was... And he says, get the stone jars used for washing the feet and the hands of the guests, and I want you to serve it to the guests. And uh, The servants are going, what? But they do it. Why? Because Jesus said it. And water turns into wine. We... If you're not familiar with the story, do read about it. It's the most amazing, brilliant story. One of the first signs, as John puts it. And then the feeding of the 5,000. Again, when Jesus says, there's this huge crowd, and the disciples say, Jesus, send them away because they're hungry. They need to go and get food. And Jesus says, you feed them. And they're going, what? They work it out. How much would we need? We need a, it'll be a year's wages. What we, and where are we going to go? The shops are shut. And what? And Jesus says, get them to sit down. What have we got? A few loaves, a few fish. That's enough. John has seen it again and again and again and again. If you do what Jesus tells you to do, amazing things happen. Amazing things. Our task is to be available and obedient. John has also learned, the time of writing his gospel, to trust Jesus with the team, the mission team. You know, there are times when the disciples saw other people doing things in Jesus' name and saying, stop it, Jesus, they're doing things in your name, tell them to stop it. And Jesus says, no, it's all right. Imagine what the first disciples would have thought when Paul was chosen to be a, one of the great missionaries of the church. Imagine that church meeting. Paul? No way! I'm not suggesting him. He's not going to get my vote. 
Jesus called Saul. And he became Paul and one of the greatest missionaries of the church. Jesus had been talking in earlier times about the vine and the branches. If we remain in Jesus, we will bear fruit. If we abide in Jesus, we will bear fruit because it's the Lord who does it. It's Jesus who does it. So in going back to the mission, if at times you're tired of sharing the gospel without seeing much fruit, if you're daunted by the size of the mission and you feel so ineffective and so useless at it, Take heart. I have a word of encouragement for you. You are in a good place. As long as you don't lose the hunger to be fruitful. When the church of Jesus loses the hunger to be fruitful, to see God do amazing things, that's when it all shuts down. But if we desire, desperate. I remember the story of Duncan Campbell 17 years of faithful ministry, he didn't see hardly anyone come to know Jesus. He was desperate. Just felt so fruitless. He stood before his morning congregation and confessed. He didn't remember when was the last time he'd led anyone to Jesus. Couldn't remember it. And that day, a number of people left his church because they didn't like the minister being so honest. Five people got saved. Within weeks, hundreds got saved. Within months, he had been invited to the Hebrides to lead a mission, and thousands of people got saved. If you are feeling in a place where you feel useless and ineffective, but you're desperate to serve God, you are in a good place. Because God can use you, and he can use me. What we cannot lose is that desperation. We almost need to get broken over our fruitlessness. We do not see enough. We do not see enough. But we long to see more. It's the Father's mission. It's the Son's mission. It's the Holy Spirit's mission. And we're called to be partners in the mission. And not only just us, but the whole worldwide church. And most wonderful of all in this passage, Jesus says again and again and again, I will be with you. I'm going to send another like me, the Holy Spirit. The amount of time Jesus takes to prepare his disciples for his departure. He keeps saying it again and again and again. And we're tempted. Remember when we talked about how wonderful it would have been to have been around when Jesus was around. Uh, I talked with my Alpha group that's just started this week about, you know, would it have been easier to believe in Jesus? And they were saying, yes, if you had been with him, if you'd seen those things. And I said, well, Jesus doesn't say that. He says it's better that he goes away. We should be glad that he's gone, in a good sense. Think about it. Even his closest disciples couldn't get all the time they wanted with Jesus. 
Yet we have all the time we want with Jesus. We are as close to God as we want to be. We have as much time in his presence as we want to have. Because he's available. 24, 7, 52, 365. Jesus says he is going away and his going will be good. It's good that I'm going away. You should be glad. Because unless he goes, the Holy Spirit will not come. Jesus is with us always. No need to queue. No need to dig a hole in the roof to get to him. And more than that, we have a relationship with him. Jesus has filled us with his Holy Spirit that we may have a relationship with him. This is also fantastic news for unbelievers. Because during his earthly life, Jesus met some Pharisees, the odd tax collector, Levi and Zacchaeus, to name couple. He met a Samaritan woman at the well. There's an account of his meeting with a prostitute, a woman caught in adultery, a rich young ruler, personal encounters. But he could not be everywhere all the time. Jesus, when he walked in on this earth, could only be at one place at one time. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will be everywhere. In all places. He'll be knocking on the door of millions and millions of lives. Every day. We will never meet someone in our lives who Jesus does not love. We will never meet someone in our lives whom the Holy Spirit is not at work in or upon. Even if they don't want to know, God's at work. And Jesus also outlines the work of the Holy Spirit to the world. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will expose the guilt of the world. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to expose the guilt of the world. And it's interesting, he says, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that's why the world hates Jesus. The Holy Spirit will demonstrate that the world is wrong in relation to sin. Because what the world would love to do is make its own definition of sin. To suit itself. To change the boundaries. Again and again and again and again. And Jesus says, not so. The world does not determine what sin is. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's why we need a savior. The world does not get to determine what sin is. And it's interesting. It says that sin is refusing to believe in Jesus. See, that's the one I missed. When I was a rebel son of a minister and didn't think I was a sinner... The first sin was, I did not believe in Jesus. 
And that's the one that separates us for eternity if we don't believe in Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come to convict and expose the guilt of the world with regard to sin that they do not believe in Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will demonstrate that the world is wrong in regard to righteousness. See, righteousness from God is a gift. No one can ever be right enough in their own merit, can they? No one can ever earn that. Righteousness is from God, from Jesus. The world would say, well, this is what's required and the other isn't. Righteousness comes from God. And he will demonstrate that the world is wrong in regard to judgment. Because the Father has decided that Jesus, his Son, is the judge of all. Everyone will stand before him. Jesus, one day, will hear us all give an account of our lives. So we're in this mission together. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world. The Father is at work. Jesus is at work. The world that condemned Jesus Holy Spirit will convict of that error and expose the guilt. Jesus condemned sin in sinful human beings. Jesus never condemned a person. He condemned sin. He died for sin. He took sin upon himself that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life because our sins are forgiven. Who he does condemn is what is described in this passage as the prince of this world. The devil, Satan, stands condemned by the victory of Jesus. Jesus talks about the grief of the disciples And he is talking about the grief they will feel when they see Jesus hung up on a cross. When their world will completely fall apart. When all the hopes and dreams that they had about Jesus will seem to crumble in their hands. Because it will seem that the enemy has the victory. That Jesus is dead on the cross. And he says, in a little while you will not see me, but in a little while you'll see me. And you hear the disciples in that passage saying, what does he mean? When Jesus is risen from the dead, they will rejoice. When the world is rejoicing, and it's interesting that Jesus says, when he is crucified, the world will be rejoicing. The world rejoices at the death of Jesus. That sounds so black, doesn't it? Because the prince of this world wants to take as many with him as possible. When Jesus reigns victorious through his resurrection, the kingdom of God is coming. Death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Anyone who believes in Jesus can be saved. 
game on, mission on. And the Holy Spirit will come to fill the church and empower the church to take the good news. It's also fantastic news for what goes on in heaven. We, we love quoting that phrase, when, every, when just one person turns to Jesus, there's a party in heaven. Heaven knows how to party, we don't. We see people say, that's great. There's a party in heaven every time. It's constant parties in heaven. Jesus is preparing them. And he likens that grief and the joy to childbirth. Shortly, the disciples will be plunged into a short, sharp time of intensive pain. And Jesus will be handed over, tortured, crucified, but they will see him again. A new world will have begun. A new partnership. Those who follow Jesus in partnership with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Yes, there'll be trouble and persecution. Jesus never hides that. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Don't be surprised if you have trouble in this world. But Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Are we up for the mission? We're not on our own. We're co-workers with God. He is at work. He is at work in you. He is at work in your situation. He is at work in your surroundings. We work with him. We have to stay hungry. We have to stay desperate. And weep over our fruitlessness if we have to. When was the last time I led someone to the Lord personally? Then weep over it. Say, Lord, will you let me lead someone to you? Give me the opportunity. Dangerous prayers to pray, aren't they? Have you ever been tempted? I don't actually want to pray that because I know he'll give me an opportunity. Have you ever been in that? I don't want you to own up. You don't have to own up. I'm the only one who owns up to things like that. You know, there are sometimes I don't really fancy talking to them about you now. I don't think, oh, what? That's terrible. If anyone found out, I'm a minister and I feel like that sometimes. Spiritual battle, I guess. Are we up for the mission? God can use any one of us. Are we desperate for him? We've had a word given to us. God will do amazing things in this church. Our responsibility is to say, yes, Lord, bring it on. We won't make it happen. We can't make it happen. Whatever it is, these amazing things. But we say, yes, Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father God, thank you for your word to us. May it feed us this week. May it nourish us this week. And we just want to take this time and just thank you that we're in this with you, that we're not on our own. That in our situation, in our workplace, 
in our family, among our friends, we are never alone. You are with us. And we just say yes to you, Lord. Will you use us? Will you give us opportunities to say something for you? To live in the way that will demonstrate the joy that we have in you. And we pray, Lord, will you come and do amazing things? Will you come and do amazing things? We long for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come back.